you find it in Acts 18 and in Acts 19. So in Acts 18, we believe that's on Paul's second missionary journey. It seems as though he stopped in a city called Ephesus after leaving Corinth. And it seems as though he planted a church there. Ephesus, the names me, the name itself means desirable. And many, and many, I think one of the reasons why this might have been listed first is because Ephesus was a, a very thriving city. Um, I had the privilege of going on a tour twice, uh, on, in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus, all the churches of Asia, this is Asia Minor, are located in what we would call today Turkey. And so you go across uh, on that sea and you stop in a place in Turkey. It's called Kushidashi. All right. And Kushidashi, you stop in there at that port town. And then you can uh, we took a ta- we hired a taxi and we all piled in because there was a few of us. We piled into a, a minivan taxi and went to the ancient site of the city of Ephesus. And what's really unique about the city of Ephesus today is it's very preserved. It's one of the most preserved archaeological sites in the world. And um, most believe if you're walking down, you're walking down marble streets, literal marble streets. And most believe that Paul, the Apostle Paul, would have walked on those same streets. And so that city of Ephesus was right on uh, the sea. It was a thriving port, so it would have been a desirable city to have a church. So Paul goes there, establishes a church. This is the chronology. In Acts 18, we see that he stops in there on his second missionary journey. And then in Acts 19, we read that he stops in there. Most believe that it would be at least two or three years that Paul stayed in the city of Ephesus and established this church. So Paul was very invested in this church. He loved this church. But it also wasn't really easy. During the Roman period, it was a center of a goddess worship. So if you go to the book of Acts, you'll read about a goddess that is mentioned in the book of Acts. It is called the goddess of Diana. And the goddess of Diana was a Roman god. And the whole city was, um, it was geared towards this worship of the goddess of Diana. Diana one is a beautiful name, and you might suppose that Diana would be a beautiful goddess. But actually, when we were there, you can look through this uh, some of the some of the buildings, and they have a replica of the goddess of Diana, and it actually isn't very pretty. The goddess of Diana was a short, squat, repulsive-looking um, god. Uh, it was it. It was supposed to be a god of fertility, so it was supposed to be you prayed and brought sacrifices to this god, and she would bless you uh, with children, with harvest, with all kinds of things. And the whole city was geared towards the worship of Diana. And so Paul comes on his second missionary journey, establishes a church, and he starts saying that that's a false god. When he comes back and he spends a couple of years 
it becomes so thriving as a church that the people that were engaged in building this worship of the goddess of Diana got mad. And in fact, if you read, and I think it's in Acts 19, they gathered into this uh, theater. I actually sat in the theater. Right? I sat in the theater. It can fit 20, about 25,000 people. And the, and the people, the citizens of Ephesus gathered together and they started chanting. They were so mad at the Apostle Paul who was taking away the worship from Diana. And they chanted, great is the goddess of Diana over and over. And they had to pull Paul out of there because they thought they were going to kill him. So Paul, when he comes to the city of Ephesus and he establishes as far as the chronology, what happened to the city of Ephesus? He came and established a church and it got on fire for God so much so that what happened? They started impacting that city so that people were quitting serving a false god and were choosing to serve the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ. So this is some of the chronology. About a decade after the church had been started, what does Paul do? He writes a letter to the church of Ephesus, and we know it as the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is one of the most tremendous books. I love reading the book of Ephesians. And it's a very normal Pauline book where Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are very theological. And what you'll find in the book of Ephesians is the word in Christ, the word love over and over through the book of Ephesians. You can find it, I think, about a, over a dozen times the word love used just in the book of Ephesians. And, and he instructs them not just to be strong in theology, but in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Now that I've taught you what is right, walk worthy. Of the vocation which you are called. He tells them, don't just talk right, but walk right. Alright, let's make sure that we're walking right. So that is the chronology. So we said that even tonight we're going to kind of follow the same outline. It's the chronology of the church. So then let's look secondly at the commendations. So he commends them on some things. Notice in verse 2 of Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. Notice, I know thy works. And notice the next word, and thy labor. So let's look at the commendations that he tells this church of Ephesus. So notice the first thing. What are they? They are diligent in service. That's what labor means. I know thy work. And what are they? I know thy labor. I know thy labor. They're diligent in service. Notice, secondly, and thy patience. Thy patience. So they not only were diligent in service, but they were patient in temperament. Does the Bible instruct us to be patient? Yes. Does he instruct us to be workers? Yes. In fact, in our Sunday school hour, we looked at um, the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of John. And the Bible instructs us, you can also find it in the book of Luke, that the Bible instructs us to have a servant's heart. And these people, look at them. They're serving God. They're patient. Notice what else. I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, 
how thou canst not bear them which are evil. So what does that say? And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. So think about this church, the church of Ephesus. So they're diligent in service. They're patience in temperament. But notice they're, they have separation in practice. So what do, what do we mean by this? It says that here are some people that are evil. And you tried them. They say they're apostles, but they're really not. So what are they doing? They're testing the doctrine. They're trying the spirits, whether they're of God or not. Man, this sounds like a good place. Man, it sounds like a good church. They're serving God. They're patient. Man, they're calling out unrighteousness. But notice what else. It says, and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Then notice, look at verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. All right, so let me give you that one. So there's four things that we see that are commended in this church of Ephesus. First of all, they're diligent in service. Second, they're patient in temperament. Third, they're separate in practice. Then fourth, they're pure in their doctrine. You'd say, where do you get pure in doctrine? It's verse six. This thou hast, thou, thou hast hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So there's a little bit of debate on the Nicolaitans. Uh, when you read historically, you'll hear two different uh, worlds as far as ideas. And so I've settled on one. If you disagree, fine, you can be wrong. All right. But the, the Nicolaitans. So the, I believe that Nicolaitans comes back to a guy that was called Nikolai. They believe that Nikolai was a deacon in one of the first churches. And Nikolai had gotten saved out of Greek mythology. But he came into the church and he still liked a lot of his Greek mythology and the paganism. So what he started convincing people, it was okay to have Christ plus some of the false pagan gods. So what he was doing is mixing God plus the world. And, and it, you can read in historical documents back in that era, and they talk about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and what it means is a, mix, a mixing of God's Word with the world. And what the Church of Ephesus said is they found it out, and they said, that's wrong doctrine. Because what did Christ say? You cannot serve God and mammon. you got to choose. In Matthew chapter 6, you can't serve God and mammon. You've got to, you go back to Joshua. And remember, we love that passage when Joshua comes before the people and he says, Hey, you know what? You're going to serve. You're going to, or choose, choose you this day who you're going to serve. But as, as, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You see, the church of Ephesus, they wanted right doctrine. Now, from the outside, as I'm looking at the church of Ephesus, and I'm considering this church, I'm thinking, wow, man, this is a good church. Man, they like to work. That's, that's a godly trait. They're patient. Man, that's one of the things that God says I should build. They also, man, when, when something, when there's unrighteousness, they call it out. And also, doctrinally, 
They like pure doctrine. But you know, this is something that, as I've studied the church of Ephesus, this has been very convicting for me. Because I love to work. I want to be patient. I want to grow in my grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to add to my faith. And in Second Peter chapter 1, it says one of the things that I should add to my faith is patience. Man, so here, if I'm going to be growing in the Lord, I'm adding to my faith. I'm trying to be patient. I'm trying to work hard for the Lord. And then I'm trying to be righteous and I'm trying to call out those that are unrighteous. And I'm trying to learn good, sound doctrine. But notice, we don't just have the commendations. We have the cautions. Look at the cautions. Verse 4. Nevertheless. So it's a pause. Hey, you're working hard, you're patient, and you're calling out unrighteousness. You love good doctrine. But, nevertheless, put a pause. Stop. Stop. I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. So the, I see two things as far as the cautions. And for us as individuals, as families, and as a church, we should consider this morning. What's the caution? The caution is this. You can be serving God. You can be adding to your faith. You can be hating the unrighteous and be loving pure, pure doctrine. But God is displeased with you. Why? First, abandonment. That's the caution. You know, it says here in verse 4, you have what? Left. That means you were somewhere, right? That means I was somewhere and I left it. Now, I'm thankful that when I come to God, I never have to worry about abandonment. If you're here this morning, and let me pause just and take a little sidebar here. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior... This is what I can tell you. You're on your way to a place called hell. I don't say that as a cuss word. I, I know in today's day and age, man, people use that nonstop. And I think it's the devil's tool, tool to belittle that hell is a literal place. It is a place of judgment, a place of torment. And I can tell you this, you don't want to be there. But the, the world and the devil have convinced people that the way that you Avoid it is on your own. But that's not the Bible way. The Bible way is through Jesus Christ. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that I am brought into the family of God and that salvation is forever. Jesus is talking to the church of Ephesus and He says, Hey, you came to Me, but you left. This is what I love about salvation. When I come to Christ and I put my faith in Him, He'll never leave me, nor forsake me. Ever. There is no abandonment. But here, the church of Ephesus, the first caution is that they abandoned God. Abandonment. Remember, Peter was this way. You remember the story of Peter? And Peter was a... Man, he was a kind of a bold disciple. How do I know that he was bold? Because in Acts chapter 4, we see that Peter and John are there and they're brought before, uh, brought before the leaders. And it says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. 
And see, Peter was a bold guy, but he wasn't so bold when Christ was taken to the cross. We see Peter there warming himself by that fire. And then, after he was called out, what do we find in John chapter 21? He goes, a fishing. He abandoned. But isn't it awesome that our Savior, when He gets done from uh, doing, basically saving the world and rising from, uh, from the grave, He remembers, man, I got one guy, man, he's struggling. And what does He do? He goes and finds him. He finds them and He feeds them. That's our God. That's the awesomeness of our God. He doesn't abandon us. But you know what we can do as Christians? We can abandon our love for the Lord, our Savior. We can abandon Him. And so that is the first caution, abandonment. Then the second caution is priorities. Notice what it says. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left... So we left something. That's abandonment. And the second caution is priority. And what's the priority? You've left your first love. Now, this is what can happen in our lives. What can happen in our lives is that Christ at salvation, we are so excited and it's as though it's that honeymoon love. This idea of first love is it's the devotion to Christ that so identifies that new believer. Have you ever been in, around a new believer? A new believer that just everything is so exciting. They're like, church. You know, like, settle down. Like, church. Like, you know what? You'll get over it. Now, I, I don't think we should get over it. But really, there's something neat about that new believer. And you give them a new Bible and they're just touching it. And they're like, ah. You're like, wow, hey, you know what? It's just leather, dude. I mean, you never felt leather before. But there's something about that. But the Bible says that's what sometimes we get away from. It's that idea of a fervency and excitement. It's a it's a boldness. It's an unashamedness. It's just that newness. Those of you that have been married, that's that honeymoon idea. And then, you know, a year, two years... Five years. Like, who are you? Oh, oh, oh you're my wife. <laughs> oh. but, it, it's, but it's that newness, isn't it? Just something special. It's the priority. You know what can happen to us as Christians and as a church? You know what can happen to us? Jesus Christ can become second and third and fourth. And the Bible is telling us we need to be cautious of that. You notice, and uh, remember, we're here in Revelation, and I said that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, right, to the church of Ephesus. And one of the things that Paul writes about is about love in the book of Ephesians. Listen to this verse in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ 
which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So here, Paul, ten years after he starts the church of Ephesus, writes them and says, hey, I'm praying that you'll be rooted in love, grounded in love, that you'll understand all of it, the fullness of it. And about 30 years later, the Apostle John on an Isle of Patmos is writing a church of Ephesus saying, hey, Guess what, church? You forgot something. Paul wrote to you. And he said, you needed to be rooted in this. You needed to build on this. You needed to know all the fullness of this. And it is second and third and fourth. You know what the Bible is telling us here? We need to be cautious of our priorities. There's a lot of things that can come in and take the place of that preeminent place that Christ needs to have in our life. You know, part of that is, part of that is even in our own walk with the Lord. I ask you, all right, I, I run a seminary now. You'd say, oh, you should be, you should be, you should be like thinking about God. You should be thinking about God's Word, but sometimes it can just be studious or a book study. But how much do we spend time ourselves in a relationship with our Savior? Daily. You have to find out. You know, I've, I've learned that. You know, I like to walk when I pray. I like to walk when I pray. Do you know what I find sometimes? I'm sitting there and I'm reading my Bible and God's like, hey, you know what? You need to just go down and about about one mile from my house is a, a boys and girls club. And they have a track, a big track that is just nice to walk. And then I have another place that I like to just go and walk. It's a it's a, a field for the um, uh, for the little league uh, baseball uh, teams. And it's a right. It's about two miles from my house. And I can just go there and nobody's there and I can just walk and pray and just spend time with the Lord. You know, all of us, God needs to be able to get a hold of us and say, I need more time. You know what? This, I know you're busy. I know you have a lot of things, but I'm most important. So is he? Is he first? Does he have the right to stop and say, hey, this morning I need more time. Well, I'm busy. So what? Business doesn't matter when it comes to God. Who's more important? And that's the caution. The caution is, is Christ a priority in our life? So then, what's the final thing? We said that in our text. I want to try to follow this. We have the chronology. We have the uh, commendations. All right, the commendations is things that he's commending the church for, but then we have the cautions. But then notice what's the challenge. Go back to Revelation chapter two, and it tells us it tells us the challenge then in verse five. The challenge to the church, first of all, notice the first word in chapter two and verse five. Remember. The first thing that will help us get back to that first love is to remember. So what do I need to remember? 
I remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. So there's a couple of things that I have to do. I first need to remember Christ. Remember, He's the one. Who's talking to me? Christ. Who's walking in the midst? Christ is. Who knows my heart? Christ does. So get back to the priority of Christ and just think about Him. You know, God in His wonderful wisdom has already helped us as far as that with the church. No, we're Baptists. Some people don't even know why we're Baptists. That's why we have a series back there, Why Am I Baptist? All right. Why am I Baptist? What does it even mean to be a Baptist? Well, you know what? I'm not a Methodist. I'm not a Protestant. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a whole bunch of other religions. I'm a Baptist. You know why? Because there are very distinct things. And one of them is that I believe the Bible. All right. I believe in the church. And God gave the church not sacraments, but a couple of ordinances. A couple of ordinances. Now, there's only two. So guess what they are? Baptism and communion. Guess what both of those things do for us as a church? Guess who they point to? The pastor? Christ. Every time, I don't, I don't, I don't know where your baptismal thing is. Oh, oh, my word. Is that what you do to like pastors that if they go along, you're like, boom. All right. You drown them. All right. Drown them. You're like, you're going to get baptized. That's for sure. Permanently. All right. But so you you baptize. So every time someone gets baptized, what do we say? Uh, We baptize them. And it's a picture in Romans chapter six. Jesus like. All right. So a lot of times when I'm talking to somebody, they're, they're baptized. What is that right there? That's a cross. So then Christ was buried and he rose again. What is that picture? What Christ did? Then it pictures what Christ did for me. I was buried in my sins and I was raised to live in newness of life. So as I'm looking at somebody getting baptized, what does it remind me of? Christ. Christ. Christ did that for me. As somebody else gets baptized, it reminds me of that. And then communion. What does that remind me of? The body broken for me. The blood shed for me. You see, Christ helps us or the Bible helps us if I follow it properly in a church setting so that sometimes he even kicks us. Sometimes I'm getting like laid back. I'm like, you know what? I'm from you know, church and the pastor gets up and he says, hey, tonight we're going to do communion. You know what that is? It's a kick. It's a kick because as I come in and I'm thinking about communion, guess what it's saying? Christ. Christ. And we even put it on the front sometimes of a communion table. I don't know if it's down there. This do in remembrance of me. First thing we got to do when I see that I'm struggling with this area of forgetting Christ, remember. Notice, secondly, what I need to do. Notice what it says. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. Repent. So there's debate on the word repent, okay? But repent strictly means a change of mind. Strictly. But you say, well, what do you mean a change of mind? A change of mind, a good definition of repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. 
That is true repentance if you study it. And I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is one of the greatest passages on the idea of repentance because it shows us that if I say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We've probably all done that. When I was a little kid, when you've had little kids, you've had maybe you're working with little kids or you're dealing with somebody and they come up and you're like, hey, you know what? Say sorry, sorry. And they walk away like, I don't think they meant that. You know, they didn't mean it. They didn't mean that at all. There, there was no repentance. Repentance means a change of mind that makes me change my actions. And the idea that Christ is telling the church of Ephesus is you not only need to change your mind, change your actions. So how do I do that? What makes me make a difference is when I repent and I say I need to repent of not having Christ as my first love. You know what I need to do? My repentance makes me change my actions. So what will make Christ first again? Be at church. Be at church faithfully. What will make Christ first again? Have a walk with him. So how much time do you spend in this book? How much time do you read it and study it? How much time do you pray? Learn about those things. Because guess what will happen? That first love will come back. Some people that are maybe struggling in marriage. And some, you know, they, they're like, oh, we, we need to have, uh, we need to have therapy. <laughs> All right. We need to have some counseling. So they come in and the husband and wife are sitting there and like, you know what? We just want to have that first love again. And maybe the counselor is like, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out on a date. And maybe the husband looks and like, is there any way to do this without being with her? We're like, I think you're not getting the point. Like, is there any possible way? I mean, can we like, is there some way? Can somebody else do that, please? All right, can somebody else spend time and just kind of transfer that to me and we'll kind of like this again? No, guess what? You can't really restore that first love without spending time together. You know what a lot of Christians are like, oh, I want that first love with Jesus again. So how much time are you spending with them? Oh, none. Well, no wonder you don't love them. And, and it makes sense when we bring it down practically to a marriage situation. But how is it any different with our Savior? You see, we need to repent a change of mind. But then notice in verse 5, it says, remember. So that's our first. Therefore, from whence are fallen, repent. That's our second. And do the first works. So that's restoring. So I remember I repent and I restore. Remember in Nehemiah and Ezra, remember the children of Israel are coming back. And what did they have to rebuild the walls? Restore. You got to build up some things. Go back to that which you have left. Go back to the priorities which are godly and build up. And you know what you're going to find? It does take some work. Take some effort. I can't tell you, I can't tell you if you're away from the Lord and you do not have the love that you had before, I can't tell you that it's a quick fix. Because it's not going to be. All right, I can tell you that physically. Physically, if I am out of shape and I want to get to a place that, man, hey, you know what? 
I want to lift 300, I want to bench press 300 pounds. Like, oh, so what you doing? Well, I, I got 25 pounds up yesterday. Like, yeah, I, maybe tomorrow. No, because guess what? You'll probably read an obituary because the bar snapped my neck. All right, 300, all right, there you go. Where are you at? Oh, I'm dead. Because guess what I have to do? It's going to take work to build to that point. And the same is true for you and I. When we have left our first love, it's going to take some effort to restore that relationship. But this is what I can tell you. In the book of James, it tells us if we approach God, draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to you. That is the awesomeness about our God. He's always merciful. Remember the story of Jonah? And Jonah's sitting there and he's running away from God. And finally he gets swallowed up by a well. And he's sitting there in the bottom of a well, which is an unbelievable miracle there that he's not dead. And he's sitting there and finally, what does he do? Good, a good decision. You know what? I think I'll pray. Now, I don't know if he had like a lighter down there or a flashlight or something. He pulls it out. He's like, oh, my word. This is really nasty. And finally, he's like, you know what, Lord, I hear you. So then he ends up going to Nineveh. And it's like the most awesome revival in the world. If you read the book of Jonah, Jonah comes down and he's, there's no heart. He doesn't care about the people of Nineveh. And really, I can't really blame him. If you read the history of the Assyrian people, they were nasty. They were wicked people. And I'm sure it could be that Jonah had relatives that were slaughtered by these people, these animals. And so Jonah walks in and is like, repent or die, you creeps. And guess what all of them do? Lord, help us. Do greatest revival in the world because it wasn't because of the speaker. It wasn't because he had a great message. All of a sudden, everybody coming to the Lord like, oh, Lord, help me. Right? The greatest revival in the world. And you know what Jonah says? I knew it. God, I knew you're merciful. You're full of compassion. And I knew if they would just pray, you'd do it. That is our God. Our God is so unbelievable that sometimes even when we don't even have a right heart, he reaches down and he still helps us. That's our God. So my challenge to you. Remember. Repent. Restore. So consider in your heart this morning. Believer, have you left off the first works? What's the first commandment with promise? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't think you could include anything else. Doesn't it sound like He's everything? And what is the evidence of that? How do you know that's true? You'll know it in your heart. God would have convicted you and said, I'm not first. Then we need to come back to the first works. Maybe this morning you would say, I don't even know Christ. I don't know Christ at all. Then I would challenge you, come to Jesus Christ. 
You will never be turned away. You will never be denied. Jesus is willing, is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ is how we get to heaven. You have to have a first love to leave it. And this morning, you may not even have that first love. Then I challenge you, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Many years ago, there was a story written about a, a group of people that were up in the logging community. And in the timberlands, springtime sees great quantities of logs shooting down the rivers. That's how they would feed them down. This was many, many years ago. And so they're dropping the trees. They're, uh, and they would be near, they would get them near these rivers and they would float them down river to where then they could be transported. Sometimes a log jam occurs. The lumberjack would seek the log that was stopping it all. When he would find, and normally what that lumberjack, they say that the lumberjack would normally find basically one log that was basically the clog. And when he found that key log, he would jerk it out of place, and guess what would happen? The flow moves onward down the river. You know what? Sometimes in our hearts, there's a log jam. It's restricting the flow that God wants in our life. The flow of God's love, His Spirit, that love, the, the spiritual the spiritual endowment that He has with that fruit of the Spirit. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and meekness and temperance and goodness. All of that that's there. And sometimes, you know what happens? There's a log jam. I've left my first love. So you know what you need to do? Remember, repent, and restore. Remove that key log so that that love of God can flow. Remember what Paul wrote the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 3? Man, that you would know that love of God. May the love of God be truly be a priority in our life again. Heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. Elizabeth Prentice wrote a song. She was a wife of a preacher. And she wrote a song during a dark time in her life. And she wrote this, More love to Thee, O Christ. More love to Thee. Hear Thou the prayer I make on bended knee. Then she said, Let, Then shall my latest breath whisper Thy praise. This be the parting cry my heart shall raise. This still its prayer shall be more love, O Christ, to Thee. Do you have that burning love for Christ that you should? This morning, the first thing I'd like to ask as far as an invitation, is there someone here this morning you'd say, while you were speaking, you know, you're talking about the love of Christ, but I do not know the love of Christ. I don't know a time when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And there should be a specific time that you repented of your sin. You said, God, I can't do this. I need to come to you. And you'd say, I do not know Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
I don't want to embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and say, would you pray for me this morning? Is there anybody like that? You'd slip up your hand. Say, would you pray for me? Anybody like that this morning say, I do not know Jesus Christ. I don't know. I didn't know that Jesus so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the greatest love of all. But maybe you're a believer here this morning. and You'd say, God spoke to me about my love for Christ. Yes, there's some needs there. Would you pray for me as you close in prayer? Thank you. Anybody else? You'd slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? You'd slip up your hand. You'd say, pray for me this morning. While you're speaking on that church of Ephesus, it hit home to me. Anybody else? You'd slip up your hand. Thank you. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'll be down here. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd love to shake your hand and we can get you with somebody that can sit one-on-one with you and show you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Yeah. We'd love for you to leave this morning knowing you're for, you're on, for sure you're on your way to heaven. Yeah. That's the first love. But it could be that this morning you need to, either at your seat or at the altar, you need to come and spend some time and say, God, help me to restore that first love. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the invitation time. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that we can come to the Word of God and understand it. It can be brought with clarity. And Lord, it can convict our hearts. And Lord, it can make us better people. I pray that we would be a people that, Lord, we would always have that first love. Lord, we may be busy doing service. We may be patient. We may be calling out the unrighteous and pure in doctrine. But Lord, you told that church of Ephesus all that was good, but they forgot something. Lord, help us not to be a forgetful people or forgetful church. Bless the invitation time in Jesus' name. Amen. Standing with